Hi friends, welcome to Love Service Wisdom with Marissa Rada Wepner. I'm in conversation with Kate Swarm in this podcast. And right now it's being released at the end of October. Happy Halloween. Kate just turned 34 earlier this week. Happy birthday, Kate. And when we re- when we recorded this, it was back in gosh. June, June 24th, 2020. And now it's uh, like uh, (laughs) October 29th that I'm recording this, 2020. So months have gone by since then and many things have changed in our lives and also kind of stay the same. But here we are talking and she's in Arizona where she had moved a couple of years ago to be a part of the Walter Walter, how would I describe Walter? Walter's a Burning Man camp that has a wellness movement side and art cars and a, it's an event company. That's maybe a good word. And it's an event company. So they do big events and parties and all kinds of things there in Phoenix and throughout the United States. And so earlier in this podcast, we begin by talking about how Burning Man's not happening, which it didn't. And we had many fun shenanigans over the years at Burning Man. And that influenced Kate's life a lot. She moved from Salem, Oregon down to Phoenix to be with that group and work with them even more. And then now is transitioning back to Salem with her family. So good luck with all of that, Kate, all the all the pieces that are moving right now. I know it feels real good to have some of these transitions coming. And, you know, these podcasts that are recorded months back that we listen to now, it's like a little sneak into a time capsule from what was happening back then and then to now. So like I said, changes, but not changes. We're entering into autumn and the leaves are changing and we're slowing down. We're just about to have the election. Everybody vote. I'll be going to the polls on Tuesday to cast my ballot. And um, yeah, then I guess hang on for the ride with whatever happens with that. My um, prayers and blessings will certainly be attempting to hold a field of energy for sure. For sure. And um, yeah, grateful for all of you as always. Thank you to everybody who contributes to supporting this podcast on Patreon. That's a nice big help. And also through giving the podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and just sharing it also when you listen to it. It warms my heart whenever I see that or whenever you guys tell me, hey, I like this episode or I just talked to somebody the other day that (laughs) they listened to all the episodes, which kind of blew my mind. But Um, I appreciate it too, because, you know, why would I make it if you guys weren't listening? So thanks to everybody who's listening. And in this conversation with Kate Swarm, we talk about, you know, a little bit about Burning Man and yoga and her, her awakening through yoga, how it was a big saving grace in her own life as she battled or dealt with some different health crises from infertility to recently Graves disease and how she's focused on living on purpose and how that shows up in her life today 
You can learn more about Kate and her classes and all of her offerings and who she is by going to her website, kateswarmyoga.com. And you can also find her on Instagram, Kate Swarm. That's W, sorry, S W A R M, Swarm like a bee. And she's awesome. I think you'll love her just as much as I do. And uh, oh, yeah, synchronistically too. We've, we recorded this podcast on her daughter Demi's birthday. So, birthday to birthday, here we go for the swarm ladies. Love you all so, so much. Hope you all out there listening. So now it's been like, when did we see each other last? It might be over a year. Oh, wait, we saw each other at Burning Man. Yes. Uh, That was fun. That was was a good time. I had a great year at Burning Man this year. How about you? Yeah, it was was a favorite for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a standout. Every year is a standout there. It's so bizarre and just a mark of the times uh that there's no burning man this year on 2020 right it's wild it is wild it's hard for me to even conceive it or understand what that means now um you know it's only time will tell exactly what that's going to look like but it would have been my sixth year Mm -hmm. um in 2020, I'm sure it would have been an incredible year at Burning Man. And for me, it's also such, it was, I was there for five years, such a encapsulation of a period of my life and for it to have this bookend, um, because it does feel that way for me. Um, not that I won't ever go back to Burning Man or, um, or that that's not still a part of who I am, but it does feel like a transition point for me personally. And to have that be the case where Burning Man will not be back is is really interesting for me. Will not be back for you or may not be back? <sighs> well, to, to be seen, right? Um, it's not going to be back this year. Nobody's going to be back on Playa. I think all of us... Uh, who are hardcore burners are wondering if it will ever be back on Playa because uh, they were having so many issues with the BLM as well. Um, that and using doesn't the mean land. Black Lives Matter. It does not. <laughs> the Bureau of Land Management. Yes. Uh, and getting the ability to use the land as they had before, like that was a very uh, real thing was facing in 2019, um, the trash perimeter and all of that was, they were really getting a lot of pushback. So it felt like they were, there were some hurdles that they had to go over anyways. And now mm-hmm. they won't be back for 2020. And mm-hmm. I think most of us in our lives have seen that if, some, if there's this barrier or this change, 
a moment for us where if you're in a cycle and then that cycle ends, the cycle never really returns the way it was. I think most of us have felt that in our lives on for different things. So we all are wondering how this cycle of Burning Man returning every year, being on the playa the way it was, is it even possible to skip a year and then come back to that cycle as it was? And I just don't think that is possible. I don't think that Burning Man will ever be the same as it was before. There's a good chance it could be better. There's a good chance it could move. Um, or become more regional. Become more regional. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different possibilities, but I think for all of us, it is like this is the end of an era or at least a pause, a moment. To oh, it's an end of an era. It's an end <laughs> of an era. It's an end of an era for sure. Krishna and I were talking about Burning Man, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. We were out on a hike and I just remember us talking. We might have been with somebody. I can't remember who it was now about it being canceled and then saying, well, this would be probably the year to go to Black Rock City. And it would be like yes. the first couple years that it were was there. Like, I wonder yes. how many like rogue <laughs> renegade um, parties will still show up at Black Rock City and make it like those old days. Before I the hope, trash. I comes. hope so. I hope so. I hope that happens. Yeah, I hope there are some renegades out there. And I hope it doesn't get shut down. Yes. But it is like you're speaking to a, a symptom of this end of an era. Mm -hmm. And thinking, I've thought about like the festival wave that we've been riding for the past five or six years. You and I both would go and <laughs> teach at many throughout the summer. Yeah. And it, I look back and I'm like, and it feels like a wave that we caught and rode really yes. well and it's done. It does feel that way. It really does. Um, I'm excited to see what is going to come next. I, I think it will be something even more special. And I, I can't put into words exactly how special I think music festivals are. Um, I think you and I are... Uh, not necessarily, we were the people who helped make that space of change. We weren't necessarily the ones being transformed there at the right. music festival. I saw a little younger generation than us, and we helped create the space for them to feel that change and be expressive and find almost a purpose in life. And that did happen at those mm -hmm. festivals. Sure, they were you know, cutesy patootsy and uh, all of that as well. There's like a surface level um, experience at a music festival, but there is no doubt that that is a place for profound change and human experience and connection. And I got to see that in thousands and thousands of people. And I am, I feel honored to be part of it. I am, I'm so excited that my life provided me the opportunity to see people in these experiences. And I'm really excited to see what is going to come next. It, because now, you know, technology is advancing so quickly. Um, 
even in the five, six, seven years that we were involved in, in events, really, um, if we think about how far technology advanced and what was capable for a show, for a experience, for a space, what can you do with the space using light, um, sound, entertainment? How can you weave all these together? Uh, it, it's pretty unreal. Um, and that's only going to continue on. So I'm excited to see what the next generation will do and what that's going to look like. Yes, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, the the um, pessimist in me, it tries to imagine it. And it's like people wearing masks. We wore those anyways <laughs> at Burning Man. Yeah. And not wanting to get close or share food or share space mm -hmm. or share energy or share mm -hmm. physical contact. That doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. And, I, you know, I think perhaps that will just be a period in time. I... This isn't the first pandemic that the world has faced, um, and it won't be the last. Uh, and yeah, I, I feel like, do I think we're going to be wearing masks forever? No. Do I think people are going to probably be um, reluctant to share space and food? with people for years to come probably, but what's going to come after that? Um, you know, as, as I get older and as the years go quicker, uh, they really do. They fly by like, um, to try and plan something just one year out for me seems impossible. Right. Like the, it's too soon. It's mm -hmm. too soon. Everything's coming way too quick. Mm -hmm. When you were a kid, right. Uh, and summer lasted a lifetime. Your summer break was so long. Every day felt so long. The minutes lasted a minute. Mm -hmm. And now a minute just flies by. So to think in the short term of what will, what will this be? Um, I'm looking like years and years out. This yeah. has got to pass. It's, it, I think what's happening now too is I have been feeling so potently in my own life that we're still in this phase of destruction, mm -hmm. oh, of unraveling, so much. unweaving, of coming apart, of release, of transformation. So it's not the time now to begin to plan anything because mm -hmm. the birth energy isn't here. It's all decay. Oh, I feel that so much. You know, and but after the decay, always comes life, always comes growth. Yeah, so to know sure. there will be that phase and mm -hmm. to not get stuck in that it's mm -hmm. always going to feel like this or it's always yeah. going to be this way is that's because been my I, practice is reminding yeah. myself of that for sure. Because you can get it can be depressing, it can be it really like can be a bummer, it can feel really unsettling, it can feel sad there's so much grief that goes along with it too and transitions oh, yeah. for us as a, a culture i think transitions of death are one of the hardest for us to go through absolutely yeah it's been a bizarre time i think for all of us and the weight 
of everything you know everyone i talk to it's it is uh the weight is hard to bear mm -hmm. for all of us and and whatever that's showing up like in your life but i do feel like this pandemic has revealed that it's always been there I think a, a lot of what what people are feeling right now has always been there and that this is just time that that it's all coming to the surface it's all revealing itself um so now's the time to work through it all and process it all and and sit with it um because again that there will be that next stage of life that next stage of that high energy get out and go we're going to be on another wave right now that wave is on top of us <laughs> <laughs> and we're all drowning but um, that's how it feels it does it it definitely mm -hmm. does i think so what, what what's difficult too at times and i'm witnessing again this in myself and and those some that i talk to is we've been so programmed and conditioned to be on the nonstop hamster wheel. And mm -hmm. now we've kind of been spun off of it, like the centripetal force, the merry-go-rounds, we got like flung mm -hmm. on our butts. But the tendency in our body, even like our biology makeup is one of the hamster wheel. And so we're like, sometimes people can grasp at well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make the thing or do the thing or be, create the thing or, you know, be, get back on the wheel. When again, <laughs> uh, my hope is that we won't do that again. That was, uh, yeah, I really hope so. Yes, I hope so. I know I have been on that hamster wheel for years just like feel like I'm I'm chasing after something. So it's nice to have this opportunity to pause and reflect and really examine what worked well, what didn't work well for me during that time. Because I did grow a lot. I saw a lot. I grew a lot. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, but what was it that I learned? What was positive lessons? What were uh, potentially negative lessons. What am I taking away from that? And this has been a great time to process all of that and to really learn and reset for whatever my next phase is going to be. So how does that show up specifically for you? Give us some examples. Yeah, well, um, so if we back up like seven years ago, kind of when I feel like my own personal wave started to build momentum. My daughter is almost 12. She's turning 12 next Tuesday. Oh, dang. So, yeah, my little babe. She's a big girl now. <laughs> I think when I met your daughter for the first time, she was probably just about 12. Yeah. And, my, and my daughter was um, still like a child. And now my daughter's a young adolescent. And I remember looking at your daughter and being... And just being like, look at this young lady. Like I could tell she had her, she held herself with a certain posture and um, a, a certain amount of, like she, she knew who she was and she really owned that. And, and I loved seeing that in, 
and a young woman. And now my daughter is a young woman. And so it's really fun to see that transition. So at, if we back up seven years, um, at that time, I was very much dedicated to being a mom. And I was a mom's mom. I was a birth doula. I worked in healthcare. I worked a lot with new moms or soon-to-be moms um, and coaching them through what motherhood was, was or would be for them or just being a support person for them in whatever capacity that was. Oftentimes that was attending births as a birth doula um, or uh, coaching women through um, nursing their children or how to possible ways to help your baby sleep through the night or just even being an ear for moms um, to listen to what they were dealing with. So that's really where I was, I was at in my life. Um, and at the same time, I had just found out that I was actually infertile. So I was a really young mom when I got pregnant with my daughter. I was 20 when um, I got pregnant and then 21 when I had my daughter. So very young. And part of the reason why I was so inclined to work with women and also position myself as a mother of mothers was it was an attempt to justify and prove my worth as a mom. Being a young mom, I did not feel like I had the same amount of respect, possibly even just for myself. Um, but also I, would, I can say with confidence, our culture as a whole, if you are un, unwed and a young mom, you're going to be perceived in a certain way. So I worked very hard to remove that perception and present myself in a certain way. Yeah, I had the same same experience in stigma. Yeah, so I um I wanted to do it right with the second baby, uh in my do it right in quotations and so I wanted my husband and I to be married. I wanted us to have a home. I wanted to be um have like this stable ideal life. So I could have that perfect pregnancy and that perfect moment as a mom. I had these visions of like even like the pregnancy photo shoot and getting to own that pregnant, abundant goddess moment. And so I had a lot of um, attachment to this idea of getting to have this perfect second birth. And so we aligned our life to make that vision complete. And then I was told I would never have children again. So that was absolutely heart-wrenching. It broke me, especially because I was in college, really dedicated to the idea that I would be a career woman when I got pregnant. And I gave up that vision of my life. To be like, no, this is what the universe is giving me, is that I'm I am a mother. That is who I am. And I will spend my life, I will dedicate my life, my life's worth is to be a mother. And then to have my existence questioned 
I attached everything to getting this vision of what I thought it meant to be a mom. I had that torn away from me and it was really difficult. It was a, it was a really hard thing for me to go through both mentally and physically. So physically I was mad at my body. I, I was, uh, I, thought, I just thought it was unfair. I felt betrayed by my body. That the one thing I was asking for, the one thing also, if we go even further, if we step further back, the one thing we as women are told we are good for and meant to do, I cannot do. And it, it, that tore me apart. And so, of course, um, then mentally there was a lot I was processing with that. On top of that, the reason I can't have children is basically because I went through premature menopause, which means I, my body wasn't naturally creating any estrogen. Mm-hmm. And so I had this hormonal imbalance as well. And I was feeling that in every part of my mind, body, and soul going through this. Um, and it was, took a lot to process. And that's really when I found my yoga practice. Yoga was a saving grace for me. I was in this place where I was hating myself and it was hating my life. And uh, my husband is very physical and um, he has a lot of energy. So he knows if he's having a tough time, he needs to go out and exercise. So he saw me having a tough time and he's like, come to the gym with me. I think exercise might be something that could be really beneficial for you, but I'm not the type of person who wants to walk on a treadmill or lift weights. Like I'm not doing that, but he had seen me in the past. You know, I've, I had tried yoga. I had liked yoga. I liked moving my body and expressing myself through body movements. So he's like, let's go to a yoga class. Um, you like yoga. And it had been a, a yet, couple years since I had probably been in a yoga class and I remember taking that yoga class and for the first half of the class I had so much negative self-talk like bending over and I felt like my stomach folding over my pants and I was it was proving to me like look your body is is worthless it's gross um, and then my legs were shaking like in a warrior pose. It's like, look, you can't, you're not even strong enough to stand up. Like more negative, like reinforcement in my head. I was, I had all this negative self-talk. And then about three quarters through the class, I was like, look at you. You made it through. You're doing good. You're still doing it. You're still up there. And, um, you're doing a lot better than you would have ever given yourself credit for. So it was like, Oh, look, you can do hard things. Um, you're not worthless that you probably should not have let that run through your head. And then by the time I got to Shavasana, I was just like a blubbering mess. The whole time I was in Shavasana, I was just crying because I was reaffirmed that, um, I'm not broken. I'm not worthless. I'm, I'm strong and I can, and I have potential in me. And so every time I went back to yoga, that was something that lasted then in that class. 
And then every time I went to a class, it seemed to last a little bit longer when I left. Before I went, I was given that reminder and I applied self-worth to me through a physical practice, which then had a lot of metaphor. The physical for me is a metaphor for the emotional component of just being human. So I, it really meant a lot and that started to shift how I was perceiving my life. And um, after I started doing a yoga practice, then I really started to approach food almost in the same way where I was, I was, I still do. Um, I think a lot of us do use food as a coping mechanism where I, to eat a bunch of chocolate or cheesy stuff, it feels good. It feels kind of like being wrapped in a warm blanket. It's not good in the long term, but in that moment, it gives you like a, a little reward. And so I had really started to use food not as nourishment. I wasn't using it to feed my body. I was using it to like, coat wounds that were inside me. And um, I, I started to approach food differently because I wanted more energy to feel good throughout the day. And I was just really noticing that certain food gave me more energy. Um, and so I really started to then approach food differently and my diet differently. And then I was moving um, a lot. And I just found that I, I started to have this transformation. All the while, I was being very public with um, my struggle through infertility. And so I started to um, get a social media following. Just I wasn't trying to get one. I was just being vocal and I was just sharing who I was and what I was going through. And that was resonating with people. Um, and so from, from that and the people seeing, I had my own yoga practice, which I was a mom. I, I really couldn't even go out to a studio at that time. It was like my daughter was in kindergarten and um, she was there for maybe two hours a day. And during those two hours, I hadn't had two hours alone in like five years. So those two hours, I couldn't then go to a studio. That was my only time to go grocery shopping by myself, which we had to get groceries and to not have a kid there trying to grab things off the shelf or have it be a teaching moment. I could just go and do that. So my yoga practice was like minutes here and there while my daughter was napping and then I could share that via social media. It was a way for me to connect with other moms, connect with other people, and do it on a way that fit into the life of a mom. And um, But moms started to be like, well, I want to come do yoga with you while all our kids are at kindergarten. And I was like, okay, I'm not a yoga teacher, <laughs> but if you want to come, you know, come, come to my house. So uh, that's what would happen for about a year was uh, I would, 
on a couple days a week, I would drop my daughter off at school and me and some neighborhood moms would push all the furniture out of the way in my living room. And there was about like seven to 10 of us and we would lay yoga mats down in my living room and we would all move and cry <laughs> and connect as women. And um, it really harkened back to when I would hold space for women during childbirth. Childbirth is a beautiful, amazing thing to see someone giving so much effort, unbridled effort, pure effort for one reason, and that's life. And that's the life of someone else. Um, there's nothing like more honest than that moment of seeing and witnessing a, a, a woman in childbirth. And that's relatable to the honesty and effort someone gives through a physical practice such as yoga. And for moms, like I said, five years, it's about five years of having another human clinging to you nearly all the time. Your body is not your own. It's shared with someone else. So for these moms who were at the same stage in life as me, we had an hour to move our own bodies, to feel what it was to have our arms be our own, have our legs be our own legs. They were standing on their own without somebody grabbing hold of it. It was uninterrupted time to connect with who we were as individuals. And it was really profound. And that created the base for me then becoming a yoga teacher, which I could not have done without those moms um, because they paid my way through yoga school. I did a GoFundMe for my yoga teacher training, and it was paid for nearly completely by the moms in the neighborhood I belonged to um, because they believed in me. They believed, believed I had something to share, and they wanted me to go out and do that, which is so incredibly touching, you yeah. know, to know that that was the start of something huge for me. So, yeah, so we did that. I went to yoga teacher training. Um, it was amazing, of course. Uh, I, I really appreciated the training I went to, uh, especially because my approach to yoga was already pretty solidified. Um, I, yoga meant something to me already. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I knew that I couldn't, then, I couldn't then go to a training where they were going to tell me yoga is this because... Who was your teacher? Um, I, I did my training at Yo-Yo Yogi in Portland, <gasps> oh, Oregon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Alex and Terry Cole. Yeah. I've been to that studio a few times and I've really enjoyed it. It's, it's very sweet. Um, I adore them and, and they are really special people in that they create a space for you to identify what yoga is to you, which I understand is, is somewhat controversial <laughs> because depending on your background of 
yoga, yoga can be very specific to what is, what is yoga. But for me, it's that for me, I, I know I have experienced extreme transformation during a physical practice that is set with intention. If you have a physical practice that is set with intention to align who you are and connect into this higher space of understanding, um, I've felt that personally through the practice. And a lot of it can't even be described in words. And it can't be a specific... I have found from years of teaching other people, it's not a specific roadmap. It's providing this opportunity in different possible ways to do it. Um, You're never going to do warrior two pose well enough that all of a sudden this you're going to find enlightenment. (laughs) Yeah. As I'm listening to you describe that, I'm having a thought I've never had before, which is something like when you're practicing yoga, you're showing up for yourself in a way Mm -hmm. that you don't in our other daily activities. The way that you show up for yourself, like it's, you, you don't bring yourself to a yoga mat, most typically, I would say, for any other reason beyond, I need this. And mm-hmm. I might not even know why I need it, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. for me. And I'm giving to myself as I do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and that looks a lot different. So I, as a yoga teacher, have a really hard time when, when yogis say that there's a certain prescription for what yoga is supposed to be. Um, And maybe years from now, I'll find that I'm completely wrong. Uh, (laughs) Maybe there is a prescription. When you say prescription, (laughs) what's an example of a prescription? Um, For instance, to do your practice at a certain time every day in a certain way every day to say... Or to do it every day. A certain thing, to do it every day. that yeah, the, teacher- the things you eat, the things you wear, these sort of things that um, you have to do it in yeah, a certain yeah. way to be called a yogi. Yeah. And that yoga itself is just one thing. Yeah. Um, My teacher, Don, who I trained with, I had a conversation with him about a month ago and he was saying things that were sort of, well, to be blunt, like anti-yoga alliance in the way that Yoga Alliance, even in of itself, codifies this is what yoga is. This is Mm -hmm. how yoga is taught. Mm -hmm. This is what you must learn. And that sucks the life out of a living tradition. Yeah. A way of teaching it that is alive, that goes with the moment. Because with the Yoga Alliance, you probably don't know this, but there's new rules with it now where as a yoga teacher training, which I have, you have to say what you're going to teach before you teach it and what each like minute and block of time will contain and plan it mm. out. And that's just not how things work. You might have a plan. No. My teacher Don also says one of my favorite quotes, planning is priceless, plans are useless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, you know, oftentimes, and and again, it's like I'm. It, it's it's interesting for me to even talk about yoga as a 
white woman living in America, right? Why do you there's say like, that? There's this historical context to what is yoga, yoga as a religious practice as well. So it's like my perception of it is, can be argued, you know, somebody's idea. Is it, is your lived experience as yoga? Mm -hmm. You can't, no one can argue with what your experience is because it's true to you. Well, people can argue it, but, <laughs> but, and I can say, yeah. well, it's I my mean, right You're kind truth. of hinting around like the idea of cultural appropriation. And I know that white women, which we both are, can get a lot of shame and flack for practicing yoga, which is, I feel incredibly hurtful because it's so um, transformational in the way that you describe mm -hmm. just with the ladies that would come, the moms, that those mm -hmm. moments, that that sense of self and getting back in touch with who you are is so profound. And, you know, to recall that the yogis came to America to give the practice. Mm -hmm. Us white ladies, we didn't like flood <laughs> India and take it and then bring it back. It was brought here and shared. The teachings were shared. And I've taken them. <laughs> and, I, and I appreciate them very much. And we've adapted them. There's a great book called Selling Yoga. Have you read that? I have not. It's about the um, historical evolution of yoga to where it is today, basically. Like how mm -hmm. did we get to this Lululemon phase, for lack of a better term, yeah. of yeah. what yoga can look like from the outside superficially. And it was, it's really interesting in the, in describing the commercialization and commodif commodification of it as a practice and how that occurred, tying it into like larger, like economic, global, mm -hmm. industrial complex of what that was. But bottom line with it too, at the end, it was like, this is something that's always evolved. And even as we trace it through India, mm -hmm. you can see how as it moved through India, in Asia, it would change depending on where it was. And that's natural to the system of it. And so when it came to America or other Western cultures, it's also continued to change and evolve. And that's what it's always done. And it's not, not continued to be yoga just because it's changed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and that's how I personally feel about it. But it, yeah, there's a lot of people who argue that. For instance, here's, here's an interesting one that gets a lot of arguments from both sides is the, the yoga and beer events, <laughs> the beer, the beer and what are those called? Brew yoga, yeah. beer and yoga yeah. events. Or, or wine, the mm -hmm. vino, vino yasana. Yes. Yeah. And so, so people, some, yeah. And people are like, that is, that is not yoga. And the only thing I will say... Have you practiced it? Have you done it? I have. And, okay. and what I will say is I'm sure there's a way that you can do it that it does not feel like... It does not feel like yoga. But there is... Um, going out and drinking. Liquor does lower your inhibitions. And so if there's this context or this space that's created that is like, 
your ambitions are now low and it's like a space of chaos and there's no intentions there that can feel uh that can feel really like dark there's something about that that doesn't feel good it doesn't feel healthy it doesn't feel like things are um happening in that space that are good for your mind body or soul if you go to a yoga class and a lot of them are even done out on a farm where the hops are grown (laughs) and so you're outside now you're with a bunch of people a lot of times in my experience from what i've seen at these um a lot of people who have never done yoga before. And you get people outside into this field and you sit them down in the grass and everybody starts breathing together. There is a shift that happens. These are people who have never done that before. You're sitting, you know, a foot from a stranger and you are all of a sudden feeling calm and present and connected. You're connected now with the earth below you and the people around you. And these are people who have been um, attracted to nightlife. They go out to try and connect with people. They drink beer because they feel like it's the only time that I can start to have conversations with people. And now they're sitting on a mat and they're breathing. And then they're moving. They're moving through these transitions of vulnerability in front of other people. They're trying things that they feel uncomfortable trying. And then they try it and they do it. And sometimes they fail. Sometimes they succeed. But it's all done in this very safe space. And you go through this really rewarding practice. And then you get a beer and you sit down with strangers and you have real conversation. And conversations that I don't think would come up in any other way. And it was an introduction into a practice that a lot of them wouldn't have taken otherwise. And I think that that's really cool. I've seen it happen. I've seen it be something so good for people who would never have otherwise. I would just say too, I don't know how many times I've practiced yoga and then afterwards had a beer. So now we're just deciding to have a beer afterwards together. Yeah, it's not. It's <laughs> I've seen it be really nice. I've seen it be really nice. And, yeah. I, and the way that you describe it too, you know, something is sacred because you decide that it's sacred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think, so sure, some of these things can sound really trivial or doing yoga with goats. But I mean... If we were to be honest, how many times in our life are we afforded the opportunity to once again even just sit down in the grass and have another living creature come up? Yeah. And you share a moment with a living creature. Like, that's a pretty special thing to do. And so to create these opportunities where that's happening, and I think that sometimes it is only about the sensationalism of it. It is about, there's nothing more to it um, than the headline. But I think a lot of times for the people who are hosting it, that's not 
what they're doing. It, it means something to them. It means something to them. It means something to um, like animals. A lot of people can connect with animals. They feel something about the precious life of an animal. They can give and receive love from it a lot easier than they can other people. So to provide an opportunity for people to connect with that is, I think, can be really special. Um, and then to add intention onto it, add a physical practice onto that. I think it can be done right. Um, and I hope it's done right. And I, I again, like you were saying, I, if you, I hope people are saying, this is sacred. This is precious. This life that we're giving, given how are we spending it and how can we optimize it? And sometimes these little funny things, that <laughs> I, I think there can be more to it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love it. I love it. Cause there is the tendency to look at some of those instances, like you described with a cynical mm -hmm. view, mm -hmm. a dismissive, judgmental, putting it down. Yes. Yeah, without knowing yeah. the full context or just even having the experience. Yeah. I kind of think too, like if it's, if it works for you, if it helps you feel connected, grounded, clear, open, uh, sensitive, then it's working. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's infinite paths to that place. Absolutely. You add and whatever you would like. And sometimes that's goats or beer, <laughs> whatever you choose, naked. but yeah, exactly. I haven't done a naked yoga class. Maybe that should um, be on the list. <laughs> I have not either. Not a public class. <laughs> yeah. Just at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well then fast forward, Kate, because I know mm -hmm. last year, this time last year, right? You moved to from Oregon to Arizona to work with Walter in Walter mm -hmm. Yoga, which was a incredible, how would you describe it? Um, event organization? Full, a full sensory like sensory um physical movement practice. So we would use state-of-the-art equipment to enhance the practice of yoga. Could be dance, um, could also just be like a meditation practice, mm -hmm. but using environment. Sensors, lights, yeah. music, mm -hmm. space, using feeling in space, olfactory mm -hmm. senses, everything. And Walter was your camp at Burning Man, is your camp at Burning Man. And they were like this behemoth that was growing and growing and mm -hmm. growing down there in Phoenix in all these amazing ways with a big house and a brewery and the gallery and the new event space. And then of course the camps and then bringing activations to other festivals. We went to Bonnaroo together and you guys did that mm -hmm. several times and other you know places. And then I just can imagine now like Calliope and... Walter and Mona Lisa, everybody's brakes just went like, skirt, skirt, skirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, it's, it's on full hold right now. Um, it is, everything has stopped. <laughs> everything has stopped. Um, there have been a tremendous amount of layoffs. I am one of them. So I've actually been 
laid off in my in my I'm growth with Walter. I am too. Move and you, it, it you was, were working full force and you had, I know, gotten to a position that I think it was the one that you had wanted as an event planner. Yeah. And producer. Uh, my, mm-hmm, my, my growth with Walter was, was awesome. And I have had the opportunity to work with some amazing people and had fantastic mentors help me grow. So I, I started out like as a yoga teacher, just like you, getting the opportunity to teach at um, music festivals. And I quickly was really drawn to the sensory aspects and especially um, the easiest one to grab hold of and add to any yoga class is music. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I know how music shifts me emotionally. So to add that component onto a yoga class is, was fundamental for me. And I also know from knowing musicians that they are just as intentional about shifting people as I am with moving people. We're moving people. We're moving them from high to low intentionally um, to expand them. And they're doing it through sound. And you feel it through every song that you listen to it it starts out quiet and it grabs you in and it builds you to a peak and then it lets you down slowly again that's the basic ride of every song um and it's the ride of a yoga class it's the ride of life (laughs) um so to then getting to collaborate with musicians oh it's like Nothing gets me more excited to start to get into the mind a musician and then to come together and add these components of sound, the external environment, and how is that external environment shifting the internal environment? And when that internal environment starts to shift, um, where can the external environment take you? And, and exploring that. And um, so Walter gave me an amazing platform to do that with, with Walter Yoga. So I was brought on to help um, produce and curate events for Walter Yoga. Uh, throughout the years, uh, that started to grow and change. Um, I got to work with a lot of artists. And then the larger production company, um, I was starting to be brought on to help curate and produce events for the larger company as well, even when there wasn't a wellness component. But I always worked with the theory that there's always a wellness component. And that's kind of the basis for the decisions I would make as a production manager was what is this going to do to shift the environment um, and the energy of the event. When you start to get into these production manager roles, there's a lot that goes into it. Mainly it's a lot of spreadsheets. Yeah. You're the queen of spreadsheets. Kate's spreadsheets are so good. I I love a good spreadsheet. Somebody who can spreadsheet. Yeah. I I love a good spreadsheet (laughs) and, um, it's dedication, focus, attention to detail that uh, ultimately, um, I, I always find success through that. Uh, that's how I can rely on tools. I can rely on math <laughs> to always go back to, you know, like there's these, there's basics that um, even as a yoga teacher, it can get 
pretty airy and like the ideas and the metaphors and all of that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to math. It still does. How many people are coming? How much are you charging the tickets for? And how much are you spending on the event? Does that make sense? Is it sustainable for you? I always have to go back to that as a mom. I have a family that's relying on me and I have very limited time. So I'm going to use it very wisely. And so taking that approach um, to then events, uh, people within the company appreciated that attention to detail, focus, um, and structure. And so I would work as production manager for um, the larger production company. And then an opportunity opened up because uh, I've actually been in Phoenix now for two years. Has it been that long? Is that crazy? I would so not for have put a, money on that. <laughs> so for a little more than the last year um, that I worked for Walter right before the pandemic hit, um, I was working an executive position in the company as director of relationship development. So I was working with all of our clients. I was our client contact and I would work with them to um, build and envision what their event was going to be and then build a budget around that and then eventually sell that concept to the client. And so that meant that my life changed dramatically. My way more than 40 hours a week event life is crazy. <laughs> to, and as it should be, because we're talking about clients spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for like a four hour event. Mm-hmm. That's mind-blowing too, by the way, <laughs> right? So we want to make sure that that, and, and again, if I were to go back to me truly believing that I'm holding space for people and that's an important thing to do and I want that time to move them and I want it to move them in a positive direction, I want to set up these clients for success. Um, and so it was awesome and it was a big change for me and it was a lot of hours behind a laptop. Um, it was a lot of big conversations, uh, and big ideas and working with, um, people who I, I respected a tremendous amount and they were not in wellness. They were, um, professionals and all kinds of different backgrounds. And I, I learned a lot. Um, and, um, I also now, so it brings me to now the last couple months being away from reflecting on that, that tidal wave that I rode and where am I not at now? And what do I think my next phase is going to look like? And I do have a couple takeaways. My biggest takeaway is that movement is key for me. Um, I, I want to dedicate as much of my time to creating a space of a physical movement for people and for myself. So that's something that I want to always 
if I can have that as my career, I will. And you can always have it as like your hobby or on the side. But um, for a year and a half, it wasn't my career. Mm -hmm. And um, it really made me value what a gift it is to get to move your body for a living. Yeah. You're, it's, it's such a, it is such an important part of being human. And for me specifically, it's how I express myself. It's um, what emotion feels like in my body. I can well, do you that started with my limbs. to pole dance. <clears throat> I have. It's so much fun. You got to come do it with me. <laughs> I tried it probably like eight or nine years ago. We had a pole up in the Hacienda, mm-hmm. Bill and I. And uh, I did it a little bit. I played around with it. Let's just say it's hard. And then it we had a few accidents. So we had pole. We had pole party accidents where the pole came down. <laughs> it's, bad. it's bad news when the pole comes down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it is so hard. It is <laughs> so so incredibly hard. Uh, way harder than a lot of even like the arm balances I learned how to do in yoga. Um, it takes a tremendous amount of coordination and strength and agility. Um, but that I really, I was drawn to the pole because of the simplicity of the nature of the ver- vertical pole mm-hmm. and then the complexity of the body movement that went with it. And it was this balance of hard and soft, of seeing like a really rigid pole. And then the bodies that move around it are so soft and fluid. And and that really drew me to it. And then the more that you practice, you realize that that is so hard. To look that soft and fluid takes so much strength. And to me, I I love that. I I love trying to... um, achieve that. And then also I, I, I just like the, the way that it, the nature of that um, so you're really doing draws me that to it. now for yourself. I'm, you're not teaching it. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you beginning to teach? I, you know, I'm actually um, getting certified right now so I can teach. <gasps> ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I loved seeing you come out with that. It kind of happened right at the beginning of quarantine. In my, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like March. Mm-hmm. And then and I, I know beforehand you had gone through another health crisis. I had. So, so it felt like oh, on the outset, I'm like, the butterflies emerged from the cocoon. Yes. Oh, that was so awful. And it was also during almost exactly that time period um, where I tr- transitioned to almost all desk work, which I am so grateful that that just naturally happened because I needed an outlet. And so my laptop was outlet when my body could not be. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really thankful that I had something that I could dedicate so much mind space to um, because I was in such a bad way <laughs> physically. It was so awful. I, um, I started feeling ill before we even moved to Phoenix. And I didn't know what it was. I'm on um, 
I'm on uh, female hormones for my infertility. And those can get slightly off. And I had been taking hormones for like 10 years and pretty much the same dose. And I thought maybe something had changed with my age that maybe I just needed a different dose of female hormones. And that's why I was feeling off. And taking hormones changes you. It a hundred percent. It changes the way you perceive the world. And I cannot emphasize that enough. If I were to stop taking my estrogen, I would look at the world differently. The lens that I see the world through changes. Estrogen is amazing. It lets it me like look, it would you would see it as what if you weren't taking it? Like gray and awful. <laughs> it, the feeling of being low estrogen. Uh, the way I describe it is, you know that feeling when you've lost a set of keys, or I've heard it as I've heard like this feeling um, almost similar to addiction. I heard somebody um, describing being addicted to something, like a, addicted to a drug, like being in a movie theater and you realize you forgot your cell phone and you can still watch the movie, but there's something in the back of your mind saying, Oh fuck, where's my cell phone? Did I lose my cell phone? And it's like this nagging feeling being low estrogen is very similar for me. And that there's a nagging feeling that something's wrong. I almost think it's a feeling of loss, which is interesting because low estrogen happens when you um, naturally go through menopause and you lose your, your ability to have children. It's like this feeling, this nagging feeling of loss. Something is lost. Something is wrong, but I can't put my finger on it. And so it's like half of my, my mental space feels like it's stuck on that. Um, and the world just isn't as colorful anymore. It's really hard to feel like flushed and full of joy. Um, that's for me, that's how I would describe the, the feeling you had of similar estrogen. feelings then, but it wasn't because of your hormones. Yeah. So I had, was having kind of those feelings along with some physical symptoms, um, that I was like, oh, and when I move to Phoenix, I'm going to figure it out. I bet it's just, um, I need more estrogen. So I moved to Phoenix and I went to a couple doctors who are always very uh, perplexed. They don't, they don't work with a lot of women of my age, especially who have already been going through infertility for 10 years. So it takes a while for them to get accustomed and very rarely is anybody an expert in what I have or have even another patient. So they're going off of something that they read or their um, idea of how hormones work in the body. So let's try, try this option. It, I went through a couple doctors that they're what they were telling me to do didn't really make sense to me. Like someone was like, one of the doctors was like, just go on birth control. That should regulate hormones. That's what birth control is. It simulates women's hormones. So try that. And that was awful. That 
really, um, I did not feel good. It felt, I was really depressed is a good way to just describe it. Um, and so I was like, I really don't think that this is the answer. Then I found this amazing women's doctor here and she specifically for like she has had an incredible career and has been working in women's hormones with women's hormones since the 60s and so she really has seen what women's hormones even is what does it mean to use artificial hormones because she was around when birth control went mainstream and saw how what effect that had on women so her the way that she describes hormones in the female body was something that really clicked with me and um she was great and she also heard my symptoms and she's like you know what you're describing sounds like the thyroid to me more than it does women's hormones and I would like you to go see an endocrinologist and I was like you know for the last 10 years every couple of years I get my thyroid checked because that's something that happens it, it's never a problem but sure I'll go in got my thyroid checked and um sure enough my i uh i um had graves disease i was extremely high thyroid so your thyroid one easy way to kind of describe it it regulates fight or flight mm-hmm. and so being hyperthyroid means that my body was in a constant state of panic and stress. So my body was like, uh, I was having all the physical symptoms of, of, of being in a state of extreme stress. So like my heart was racing um, and like all the hormones were off and, and my brain was just like, there's something wrong. We're in a state of panic, but nothing was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just that my thyroid was was overactive. So once we identified that, um, it took a while to regulate that. And I still don't feel like I can rely on stability within my body. I still don't feel like, like for those 10 years prior where I was put on estrogen and I would do my rounds of progesterone and I could just go through life and it, um, I could rely on my health. I don't feel quite like I can rely on my health yet. I feel so much better. And I went to Bali maybe like a year ago, yeah. a little over a year ago. You guys led your retreat there. And it was right when I, um, that was right when I started getting medicated. Um, so I started taking a, a thyroid suppressant. Um, so that was when it was worse. That was right when I first got my first something that might help. So my thyroid was getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then, um, so right when I went to Bali, I think as I was getting on the plane, I I took my first, like my first dose. And, um, the only way, the one way that I can know just how, what I was feeling like is um, because I was leading the retreat, I had everybody set an intention for what they're wanting to experience. 
And my intention that I said that I still have written down was just the word joy Mm. because I hadn't felt joy. I couldn't even remember what joy really was or what that meant to even want joy. I just knew that I didn't have it and I wasn't capable of feeling it. Like sure, I could put a smile on my face, but to really feel like that heart radiating joy, like that flow of energy through you, um, that sweet nectar of life that you're like, this is it. This is that moment that I am alive and I am here and this is joyful. Um, I knew that I hadn't experienced that in a long time. And I can feel joy now, which is amazing. <laughs> so that, that's how I know I'm much better. I'm much better than where I was. Um, but it's, it's hard when you can't tell when you are, when your hormones are off. And I would, I would imagine it's probably similar for people who are depressed. Yeah. You, you can't it see is. outside yourself you don't have that ability. Your experience is your experience. Um, Yeah. It's like, but it feels this way. It feels this bad. It feels this bad. It's a a cognitive process. When I know Mm -hmm. my hormones shift, like when I'm PMSing, Mm -hmm. I'm very aware and something comes on and uh, it's like, it's again, it's a cognitive, like, oh, I'm feeling this way because X and I know it's not true. It's just my filter right now. And I Mm -hmm. have to just remind myself of that. It's a, it's a really interesting. And, and one I've gone through now a couple times with dealing with hormone issues. Um, And it makes me really, I'm, I'm really empathetic to other people who suffer from that or perhaps people who don't even realize that there's this other thing going on that is just their life. They think that's the way life is or the way that life feels and it will always feel that way um, for the people who can't feel joy you yeah. know and I, even for I, you you i think had the reference points internally to know that something was off mm-hmm. for, for some you don't even recognize you don't even recognize that there's been a shift and you could do something about it or you could feel a different way or mm-hmm. how to get there mm-hmm. the uh the only the only benefit i will say to um, like shifting my lens or my perspective because I do it now through the application of taking hormones is I know what it feels like to have estrogen in me and I know what it feels like to not. I know what, so progesterone is the hormone um, that causes symptoms of PMS. And so I take progesterone. So I don't feel any symptoms of PMS, then I take progesterone and I feel those symptoms of PMS. I know what, what it feel like for you. Um, I'm a lot more right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a shorter temper. I have much less bandwidth for uh, like 
compassion. Mm-hmm. I, I am so over it. Mm-hmm. I don't I like I don't I don't want, too. Yeah, and I, I don't want to personally. and the one thing that I will say about that is that um I feel that it's valid. I feel like that I in that moment. And now I feel like <laughs> we as women are are told to be soft and gentle and Mm -hmm. like calm and patient Mm -hmm. and you know what that's why (laughs) there are times (laughs) in life where that isn't true that isn't true and and for the opposite sex as well do we do we ask the same of them. I feel like there are times when it's like, um, sure, like if I'm PMSing or even when I'm not and I think that I'm really right about something and I'm not really right about something. But also, there are so many times in my life where I have backed down or I haven't stood up for what I really believe in. And like progesterone allows me to do that. And I and identify what that is and stand up for it and, and do it with strength and passion. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that side of me. And I, and I think it's valid. And I really don't like it when um, I do not like the feeling of somebody telling me that I'm just being hormonal. It's like, no, I am whether I am being hormonal or not, if it, maybe I need to be hormonal more often. Maybe yeah, I need to take a stance you're just more often. Being hormonal, it feels like they're putting you down. Mm-hmm. What, what you're feeling is not valid. That's how mm-hmm. it, it, the interpretation is. I know for me, when I'm PMSing, I get so much more sensitive and grumpy and <laughs> kind of like fired up and self-righteous in the same way that you're describing. <laughs> and Krishna, he's like, tell me when you're PMSing so I can know. And at first I resisted that. And he then, to his credit, was like, I just want to know because I want to mm-hmm. treat you with more kindness. Yes, I want to be yeah. more loving to you because I know that how you're feeling is kind of beyond your control. And so mm-hmm. I don't want to aggravate it. So mm-hmm. let mm-hmm. me just hold more love for you. And then finally was able to soften and be like, okay, I'm being messing right now. I remember walking <laughs> into the studio just a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, I need you to put the dishes in the dishwasher and I need you to wipe the counter and I need you to, there's one other thing. I'm like, and I know I'm being messing right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, absolutely. I'll go do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's a funny thing. It's a, and it's for me, it's just so black and white. Um, it's like, I started taking progesterone. I know that I've applied this and it's causing this change in me. Um, and so I, I know what that feels like. So that shift so well. And, um, and then I can stop taking progesterone and, examine exactly where I am at now. So I know what that feels like. And I, and, um, yeah, so there's sometimes when I'm, I'm just on my progesterone and I'm 
experiencing these symptoms of PMS where it's like, you know what? I have asked nicely about the dishes <laughs> 10 times, okay? I've Today done this for you every other day. <laughs> exactly. I'm over it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's a <laughs> funny little trade about taking the hormones. Well, I'm so glad that you're feeling better and that you figured that out because mm-hmm. I knew you before your joy diminished mm-hmm. and then while it was happening just seeing that spark in you yeah oh, wow the little light and fire in your eyes was just gone you could feel it and then mm-hmm. when i saw you on that pole mm, yeah i just knew you'd really <laughs> you'd really you'd found something again yeah and and it's it, and yoga will always be there for me too as well it's it's you know the base of all my physical movement practices. Um, but to have another outlet for movement is, is really fun and I'm, and I'm loving it and it is really hard. And so I take it one step at a time and, um, but yeah, I have big, I have, I, I would like to take it (laughs) and, and make it a big part of my life, um, with, holding space definitely during that this time uh, i've got to ask myself what is it core to what i do and who i am and what i think i can offer the world and and i want to hold space uh, i want to hold space and i want to be able to have that space be a place of expression that i'm holding um and that goes all the way back to, you know, taking care of mamas in childbirth. And so I would really like to do that for myself. And I'm, I'm a mama bird and I want to create a little nest for people so they can come and feel safe and, and the place that I, I'm, I'm setting for them. And so that's what I'm really setting my, setting my intention to explore what that looks like. But it's Um, open now. You haven't like landed in a new path having been laid off from Walter. There's not like the new boss lady job yet. Is there? (laughs) Not, well, not yet. (laughs) Not yet. I'm, I'm definitely uh, forging a path ahead, but I'm taking it one step at a time to see where it leads. Um, I'm, I'm working with some incredible mentors who've helped me put together a business plan and a financial model. Um, and I'm taking it right now to different, um, different groups here in Phoenix who offer funding for small businesses to see if I can't get the idea funded to move forward. You want to share what it is? You're going to hold it in. Either's fine in. with me. I'm going to hold it in. We'll okay. see where it goes. We, okay. But it's, it's really exciting for me. And I, I love the idea of it, but I'm also not attached to it. I, I've found that the best things come when I'm just open. When I'm moving forward and I have an idea and a concept, but... Um, I don't prescribe exactly like this is what it's going to be like and this is what it's going to look like mm-hmm. uh, and this is how it will be. I find that that works best for me. So I have 
room for even bigger opportunities to arise. Totally, totally. I look at the manifesting process too of one of how do I want it to feel? How do I mm-hmm. want to feel versus mm-hmm. this is what I know it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm in that stage now and um, we're in talking to lenders right now, all the lenders for like these small businesses or people who do funding for small businesses, uh, every ounce of their focus is on COVID. Yeah. So they're helping small businesses that are either PPE startups for the personal protective gear or um, businesses that already exist that are struggling now because, um, because of COVID. So uh, if things go my way. January 1st of 2021, I would have my own space. And with the new year, I would have a space um, to bring, invite people to, to move in. We'll see though, because COVID's definitely a variable out there and <laughs> there's a lot a variable. <laughs> so we'll see it's so tricky. Oh, totally. Well, I wish you all the best with that. And I am so appreciative of you sharing your story and who you are with our listeners. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to share. There's My anywhere pleasure. now that like, I can direct them to? I know you're at Kate Swarm on the Instagram, but you probably don't have a website or anything for your new venture. I do not. Nope, okay. not yet. You can keep an eye out on Instagram. Something really fun I've been doing on Instagram that... I don't do it at a specific time. You have to catch it if you catch it. But every once in a while, I do the juicy gossip hour mm-hmm. where I juice and I gossip. <laughs> <laughs> I've caught that a few times. I've loved it. She also wears booty shorts most typically while she's doing it, which is my favorite Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> You're in the kitchen. That's the juicy H. part of it. Oh, that's one of the juicy parts of it. It is for sure. Okay, so look for Kate's juicy gossip, right? Yeah, right? Juice, the juicy gossip hour. The juicy <laughs> gossip hour. Follow her on Instagram at Kate Swarm, and, and we'll, yeah, when you when you launch, we'll share all about that too. Absolutely, I'm really excited for it. Um, fingers crossed, but I I just feel I feel good and I feel joyful, which has been years and the process. And, um, but every step along the way, I'm so thankful for everything I've learned and everywhere I've been and all the incredible people I have worked with, artists, professionals, mentors, dreamers, thinkers. Um, I, I just, I feel like this is the, end of one book or the end of the chapter and the beginning of another and every page in that book um, provided me with so much opportunity for growth and I'm just excited to see what the what the next turning of the page is and I feel really good about it even amongst all the darkness that's happening right now and it you know, I don't want to spiritually bypass anything. It's not always, you know, rainbows and unicorns. And it is, it is hard. This is a hard time. Um, but I have been through a lot of hard times. I have been through a lot of 
really dark times. And at the end of all of that, there's always beauty and there's always life and growth. And, and so I'm really hopeful and I feel, I feel that. And I feel that be here now, work on whatever it needs to be worked through, uh, look at whatever is being revealed. Um, so when this next chapter begins, you can do it in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> Thank you for those reminders. I love you yeah. so much. Uh, I love you too. And I can't wait to see you. Hopefully <laughs> are we still thinking, um, yoga for it in fall? Maybe. I don't know. TBD. Yeah. And we haven't, we haven't yes or noted it just yet. We'll see. Yeah. There's a lot. Soon. There's a there's a lot to kind of yeah. go through in the next couple months, but hopefully we'll get to see each other again really soon. Yeah. Give the Ogdens my love. And I will. Steve and baby Demi, happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Squeeze all of yours for me too. I will for sure. All right. Bye, Lots of love.